welcome to another in our series of short podcasts focused on the event industry. I'm Martin Blunt, and in this episode, we consider what benefits can be learned from the world of broadcasting as we all continue to explore what is possible in running our events, either virtually or as a hybrid. My guest today is Will Kinder. Welcome, Will. Hello, Martin. Will started his career as a radio producer, first in local radio, moving up through the ranks to produce both Zoe Ball and Chris Moyles' breakfast programmes on BBC Radio 1. He must have had to get up really early to do that. Yes, uh, I still don't sleep even now as a result. (laughs) Always tired? Yes, always tired. His attentions these days uh, have moved to television, where at the BBC he trained as a director, and these days can be found at the helm of a number of broadcast and corporate projects. So, Will, what have you been up to lately? Well, a mixture of things, really, because certainly the corporate world has come back to life. Um, I do a lot of work with Jamie Oliver, and he's got a hybrid world as well, because normally when he's got a book to promote, he'd be going round the world to the various countries, to Australia and to Europe, and going on all the TV shows. And he couldn't do that this year. So I came in and worked with his team for him to do all his press virtually via Zoom. So that was one thing. We do a lot of corporate events. So the Costa Book Awards, which we've just worked on, um, the EFL Awards, which I did with the Content Works. Uh, Yeah, a real range of things. But it's certainly um, beginning to open up now, I think. I must say, it was nice to be back working with you. We worked together more years than we care to remember back in in local radio. Mm. I'll just say a long time ago. You know, thinking of my... Uh, broadcast career and then second half of my career in events at the beginning of the pandemic I wrote a LinkedIn piece that I said you know this world of virtual and this world of broadcast my two worlds seem to have collided because the two are very very similar Do, do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people like yourself, you had a terrible time. You had a full diary and that diary closed. I mean, you went from working flat out to having nothing. Um, And so we came in because people, after that kind of first month when it was just like, well, what the heck's going on? uh, People started to go, well, actually, we still need to do work. We still need to communicate. So things like podcasts and then, of course, the, you know, the virtual events, people meeting up via Zoom. Very quickly, that kind of, you know, death by Zoom meeting, people wanted something more out of it. So they wanted a kind of a broadcast edge to their their uh, virtual events. And so that's where people like me came in with a sort of bit, bit of a TV background, bit of a technology background. And we were able to start staging those virtual events. So you've been the busiest man over the last couple of years. You're the one with all the work. Uh, <laughs> have you seen the profile of your work change a lot, though, from perhaps doing more broadcast into, into MySpace, really? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the bridge was we often made videos that were played out during a live event. And so we were kind of on the roster of, of live events companies. And then when they were looking for hybrid or virtual solutions, they said, well, look, you know, you guys do video and TV. Can you help us out with this? And yes, of course we can, because we're very experienced at outside broadcasts and things like that, working in studios. So we were able to kind of add our expertise onto a live event. And then that's where your hybrid comes from. And when we start to talk about hybrid, one of the things that I have started to bang on about, lots of people are trying to say, well, the home or the virtual experience should be the same as the in-person experience. And I've kind of put my hand up and said, well, it's not like that in the real world. If I go to a cricket match and I'm there in person at the test match, it's fabulous. But that's an experience I have. If I watch it at home on the TV, I have an equally good experience, but it's a different experience. I've now got commentary, I've got replays, but I'm not actually there in the crowd, you know, applauding and standing and being as a a part of it. Both very valid experiences, but they are different. 
and I'm beginning to question this, we must try and have treat all audiences the same and sort of move to this point where you go, no, as long as everybody's having a good experience, a valid experience, then that's fine. Uh, you, there will be a difference to watching on a screen to being in the, in the room. And I guess that also comes out of, uh, of broadcast, because if you're, if you're at a, an outside broadcast, you have a different experience to the person who may watch the finished edited programme, you know, a month later. Absolutely. I mean, this is something I've, I've been talking to clients about. You know, if you go to a conference, you might have stayed in the hotel the night before, you might have had a drinks or dinner with your colleagues, you wake up in the morning, you put on your business casual, whatever it is these days, you have a coffee, you then go into a room, the doors are closed, the lights go down, the PA is booming, you've got huge screens, and you're very, very in the moment. Your laptop is in your bag, your mobile is on mute, you have no distractions. Think about that same person watching that event on a laptop, they haven't had any of the experience before. They maybe got a 10-minute little diary warning. They've jumped on their laptop. They've scrubbled through their email to find the password to get into the thing. And they start watching. And then the doorbell goes because it's Amazon or a, an email alert comes in. <laughs> you know, this is it's a completely different experience. We've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> we have. You know, I've seen everybody's cats since we did the Zoom thing. And so the phrase is, I think, is competition for attention. Because in a conference at the moment, you don't have you have very, very little in the way of distractions. When you're sat at your desk, you are distracted almost all the time. And even if you don't want to look at your emails, when something pings up, you're going to tab across and have a quick look at the email and check that and, and you know, come back. So, yes, a completely different experience. Um, and I think, you know, we sort of talked about this kind of idea of people have got a low attention span. That's not strictly true. If you're sitting in a theatre and you're watching a show, you can sit there for two hours. You've got a great attention span. It's not the attention, it's the distractions. And so we're still talking about compacting down speeches, making them really visually interesting, um, using the, the techniques that we use in broadcast. And as we spoke about before, I don't think a shorter, sharper show is any less good in a room for people because I'm afraid I've sat and been very, very bored at some conferences. Death by Zoom, you get death by PowerPoint anyway. Yeah. We've had that for, for years. Actually, in an earlier podcast, we established through some technology that if you have a presenter who's doing a monologue, if that monologue goes on for more than about nine minutes, we have got research that now shows, and that, that's an average time. It depends, you know, there are some very engaging monologues and some really dull ones you wouldn't want to listen to more, more than about four minutes. But um, the average time is about nine minutes, and then people start checking their emails and just having a look to see what's on the news websites and, and what have you. And their concentration is just edging away. So what are some of the things that we can do to keep the energy up? Well, to add to your point first, that's, you know, that's good research in terms of virtual, but I think it's the same in the room. You know, if you've got someone who's a not particularly engaging presenter who's talking at you for nine minutes, even in a live environment, you're drifting off. So, you know, there, there is stuff to be learned, even if you stay in the completely live environment, about honing down, polishing, compacting your, your uh, presentation because you want to keep people's attention. So I understand about the honing down, but if I was back in my radio days or, you know, if I'm watching a documentary on the TV, you never see somebody just talk to camera for very long. Something else happens. So what are those something else's that you're perhaps bringing to the party? Well, we do, you know, you're basically trying to attract people's eyes and watching someone 
someone is where you, your attention drifts away. So what we call B-roll or floats. In other words, if I'm the MD and I'm saying we've had great success in our Northampton factory that's recently been refurbished, instead of just you know looking at that, we might have some video or some pictures that come up on the main screens and also those what we call float. In other words, they're over the top of the picture of the presenter. So we're seeing in the background some of those things happening. And if he says, you know, we've had a fantastic year of results, we would have an animated graphic, uh, not I say not a PowerPoint slide with a horrible graph on it, but an animated graphic that's bright and informative and shows those figures off for you. So you're basically taking your attention away from the person each time uh, and onto something else so that you know that you're not going to be there for 9, 10, 15 minutes. Something's going to happen. Things are going to happen on the screen. And I think there's also stuff that we did around the cost rewards that kind of demonstrate that. Well, I think, yes. So if we, we banged on about the thing that we worked on recently, which was the, the cost of book awards, uh, which we did, uh, and maybe we'll talk about some of the techniques we used in that. But if we just sort of say, oh, you know, the, the, the lovely Hannah Lowe was uh, a former London teacher who was the, the winner, just you and I talking about it, yeah, that's, it's interesting perhaps to some, but if if we actually used what would in TV, I guess you were describing as B-roll, but a little clip as we're, we're not on TV, this is, this is more radio, we could actually just transport ourselves to the winning moment. Oh, oh my goodness. So delighted. Um, God, what what joy! Like joy squared. Um... You're sort of transported there already, aren't you? You're back in the room, and you can feel the atmosphere of the room, and that's got to be better than just two old fellas like us talking about it. Absolutely. And interestingly, if you you know you listen to the applause, there's only what was about thirty people in the room. Um, so you know that was truly a hybrid event. You know we had we had a handful of people in the room and a lot of people watching online, but even those 15, 20, 30 people made enough noise to make an atmosphere and to make it into a proper live event. And some of the different hybrids we're going to be looking at, so that was a hybrid where we had a very small invited audience who were kind of a part of the show, but that one you took a decision to play to the cameras, didn't you? Yeah, and it's a decision you make very early on. So if you think about your example of cricket, that is a televised sporting event. The television cameras and the um, reporters have no effect on what's going on. You're watching the televised moment of the cricket or the football or whatever. And then you think about something like, have I got news for you or any TV programme or Ant and Deck? That is a television show. The presenters talk to the camera. The TV people are in control. They have built the show. And so that's a decision to make very early on is... Are we televising your live event? In other words, is the presenter talking to the audience and is the presenter, are we just covering what's going on in the room? Or are we producing a broadcast event or a TV event whereby the presenters and the people in the room are engaging with the audience by looking at the camera and we call it down the barrel. So when you look down the camera and you talk to the people at home. And something really interesting happened when we did the Costa Book Awards because when you and I and the team spoke early on, I said, well, I think it should be a down-the-camera, a down-the-barrel experience. It should be presented for the people at home. And so our main presenter, Penny, had auto-cue. And as she presented the award, she was talking directly at the camera and talking to the people at home. And uh, our secondary presenter, Rita, also would be talking down the camera. However, no one briefed her. And so when she began speaking in the rehearsals, she started looking left and right of the camera and looking at the audience. And it kind of broke because... 
you, you, you were just watching her and you were suddenly not engaged with her because she wasn't looking at you at home. And obviously then in rehearsals, perfect, we rebriefed her and then she looked down the camera and it all came back together. But it was amazing how quickly it fell apart when we didn't look down the camera in that room. So you've got to make a decision, either you do or you don't. Um, and that's, that's a thing to think about very early on in the production process. Talking of uh, rehearsals, they are important. I think sometimes live events when you've got busy senior execs who, you know, we've all as event planners have all seen the CEO running in with his PowerPoint that he's done on the plane and, um, you know, leaps up onto stage with really very much not uh, any rehearsal. Some of the techniques we're talking about, you do have to invest a little bit more time up front, don't you? Absolutely. And of course, the rehearsals aren't necessarily for the presenters. I mean, yes, they want to get warmed up in their scripts or it's not necessarily for the CEO. If you think about what I've got backstage, I've got me as a director. I've got someone sitting next to me who's doing all the timings. I've got a guy who's running in VT. I've got a sound desk and a sound sound person, a lighting desk and a lighting person. Someone's running auto cue. Now, we all have to get get into sync. And that's what rehearsals are for. I mean, I probably could on a live event, walk in and do it without a rehearsal, but it would suffer as a result of it. There would be mistakes and just little things that, you know, every little tiny mistake takes away from the quality of it. You want to walk away from a live broadcast with, you know, literally hardly any mistakes or errors. And so the rehearsal is not just for the CEO. It is for that whole team to get together. Um, and I find I just need to almost commit the show to my mind. And I can't do that unless I've done a rehearsal. So I'm not, always just reading straight off the script. I mean, I can look up and I can look around and direct the cameras. So I need to kind of have rehearsals to, to get that into my mind. Um, we've done some very, very long shows, which you could never rehearse. We did a sort of 12 hour global uh, event for World DAB and you could never rehearse that. But I did rehearse the sort of first 20 minutes so that the presenter warmed up. And because it was presenter, speaker, presenter, speaker, it didn't need a full rehearsal. But certainly with Costa, we had the luxury of three run throughs, which, you know, that's a luxury. I could probably get away with two. But we had one, what we call a, a stagger through, a technical one where we just look, make sure the camera's in the right places and where's the trophy going to be and who sat where. We do that as a technical one. Then we had one run through with the presenters just to get them up to script. And then also the client came back with some script notes. And then we had a full dress rehearsal, which was the whole show with everything, with all the guests and everything in the room. And then we did the live show. And as a result, we had a great show and it looked great. Um, so, yeah, a very long answer to a short question. But yes, rehearsals are essential. But it is the the process that you you know you wouldn't go on BBC One Live one one evening without without some sort of run through and, and and some sort of rehearsal period. So if we're going to do virtual and we're going to try and make it as professional as we can, we have to bring through some of these things that you you do all your life when you were working for BBC and and other broadcasters. Yeah, I mean, if you're the CEO and you've got, you know, a nice sort of friendly personality and you're you know, going through your PowerPoint, and you made the odd mistake to your to your colleagues who are in the room and there's a bit of a laughter. That's fine. But if you're going out to the potentially to anybody who can watch, then, you know, you don't you know, your CEO, your presenter or your technical team don't want to make mistakes because those mistakes just take away from your your broadcast, take away from your brand. Are there things that um event producers who may be listening can do themselves or really are you just saying I'm sorry you're going to have to phone up Will Kinder or somebody with his experience? Yeah I mean you know I would say that wouldn't I that you need me or someone like me or someone like you um, but you know that's what we do. The most disastrous thing you could possibly do is is have your live event and have someone at the front with one camera or a laptop 
pointing at it, waving all over the place. It would be a terrible, terrible experience. You know, you spend a lot of money on a live event and you want it to look good. You have the lighting, the sound, you make videos, you do all this kind of stuff. And you need the same level of polish for a broadcast event because it's still the embodiment of your brand and potentially a lot more people are going to see it. And of course, up until this point, your live events company may or may not have any experience of broadcast. And they might tell you they have, but what they probably are going to do is pipe actually what's going on the big screens down to the live stream. And that also isn't a great idea because they are two different things. Um, it's really easy for it to look bad, if I'm honest. And bad TV is worse than no TV. And it would be better not to do a stream at all if you're not going to do it well. One other thought, uh, Will, is broadcast is often felt as a one-way experience. We watch TV. We listen to the radio. I guess in the world of conferences, you attend a conference, you're a part of it, you're a part of an event. So uh, how do we get that two-way conversation going? Well, it's really easy, to be honest, because, you know, we've got social media, we've got lots of tools that we can use in terms of um, chat windows on the portal. You can do polls and you can do votes. So you, again, just maybe something for fun or maybe something a bit more serious. Um, and also, if you've, you know, you've got a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed, you can actually have that coming up on the big screen so that you can see people reacting to what you're saying as you go through. And broadcasters have been trying to do more of that since, well, since I was doing it. You know, it was just phones and send a postcard. But uh, these days, uh, every every programme has some sort of social media feed or some way of bringing in somebody from home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's other things you can do. I mean, even on a really big conference, let's say you were in London and you had a large New York office, you could send a small OB unit to the New York office and have them as part of the, the main thing. And the other thing a lot of people have done is... Um, where they've got conferences with staff at home, they've sent home these kind of uh, packs or party packs if it's an evening thing or uh, information packs so that people at home have got something to do and, and, and be part of. What about choice of venues? Because uh, if you're doing a virtual event, the traditional ballroom or whatever, presumably you can look for some more interesting backgrounds for, for your event. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a live, a live events company, you know, your, your job is to turn four walls into a set, whether that be an awards set or a conference or whatever. That's your job. And that's perfectly OK for broadcast. There are lots of different things we need to do to that set to make it part of a TV show. But actually, you can now start thinking outside the box. And I've seen some wonderful things. There was presentations. They were in the Natural History Museum. And it, I don't, don't think it's still there now, but they were underneath the T-Rex. And the lighting company had lit the T-Rex beautifully. And then also, if you think about something like Stargazing Live with Brian Cox, they are at Jodrell Bank. And behind them is that blooming great big dish telescope and all the old machinery is behind them. And it looks fantastic. So, you know, if you're a company that has a, has a role in a particular area, why not think about doing your conference somewhere different with a background that's built in? Bro broadcast live from your factory floor, is it? Kind right? of, yeah, if it's interesting and not too noisy. But yeah, I mean, just think about something different. Is it a cathedral or is it something, you know... What, what we love as broadcasters and what our lighting teams love is to walk into a venue and see stuff there already and your lighting man goes, oh, yeah, fantastic. We can put a lamp there. We'll do that. That will all be lit up here. We can do this. We can do that. And you can see them getting excited to be able to light something that's very different. So, yeah, the message is, yes, of course, if you need to do your event in a, in a large hall, a ballroom, and have your events company build a stage, go for it. But just think outside the box. Could you do something a bit different? Well, we're running out of time, uh, as we always do on these short podcasts, but um, any overriding message for somebody 
who is about to put a, a virtual event together and wants to use some of these broadcast techniques. I think my overriding thought about this is if you're planning to have a broadcast or hybrid element to your live event, then bring someone in really early. Because what's happened to me quite often is that I'm kind of brought in a bit towards the end. Um, you know, we've got the live show. It's all set up now. Will, can you direct it for us? And I'm like, yeah, but you don't thought about where you're going to put the cameras. And that set is not going to work for broadcast and et cetera, et cetera. So actually, you know, you, you can speak to someone like me and get some input into your live event from the very beginning so that your set is right. There are places for cameras, all those kind of things that need to be thought about. Um, and then that saves a lot of kind of last minute adjustment. Um, and, you know, advice is free. You know, if you're planning a live event and you want to have a chat first, then great, get in touch. I'm just writing this down. Advice is free. Excellent. Next time I call, um, I'll expect you to, uh, to honour that little voucher that I put down here. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. My guest today uh, is uh, radio and TV director Will Kinder. Will, thank you for your time. Pleasure, Martin. You'll find other podcasts in this series available on your preferred podcast platform all focused on the event industry. We're adding to the library all the time, so do please come back soon. I'm Martin Blunt. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.